Do you ever listen to the radio or watch television and you're struck by the amazing voice that's delivering the message, either an advert or an introduction or an informational piece? Well, that's probably prepared by an actor or a voiceover specialist. And today we're going to be meeting one of those voiceover specialists. Emma Hignett has voiced the introductions and the explanations for where you're going on London buses. So it's a voice you may well be very familiar with. Her credits are numerous, so I'm sure at some stage you will have heard Emma's voice. Today we're going to be talking to her about that job, about that role and other very interesting aspects to Emma's life as we are in this period of our lives. 2020 has proved quite interesting. This is somebody who has adapted well before the pandemic to life working from home. Plenty that we can learn about the way in which Emma runs her businesses and her life. So join me and join Emma in this very interesting conversation. I am genuinely absolutely delighted to welcome to the HR Resource podcast somebody who I've known. In fact, we've just had a brief conversation and uh, we're trying to work out how long we've we've known each other and we think it must be somewhere in the region of about 14 years the wonderful emma current uh-huh. <laughs> only no, i work emma, i emma, work under emma hignett <laughs> yeah yeah so so she's so so well known she's known by two different names um <laughs> emma it's great to have you on the podcast we're now in series two and series two is all about managing forward and I know that you are somebody that our listeners are going to be very interested to hear from just by virtue of your career and how you work because you're somebody who adopted technology in the way that you work very early on an early adopter mm-hmm. uh, and all the lessons from the way that you do that and have grown a very successful profile uh, on the basis of that so first and foremost hello welcome to hello and hi let us know how the experience so far in 2020 has been for you? Oh, right. Uh, big question. Um, yeah, big, big, big question. God, can't wait for 2021. <laughs> um, uh, you know what? In many ways, in my little world, life continues as normal um, because I already worked at home. Um, and so my life, life revolved around getting child to school and walking the dog and working in between. Um, when the pools are open, um, I spend a lot of time ferrying a child to a swimming pool. The, the biggest difference in our world is that my husband has been working at home since about the middle of February. Um, as a result, we eat more, <laughs> we drink more, um, I don't get to watch rubbish television quite as much, but work-wise, it's probably, by the initial blip of shock when we went into lockdown, my world of work is much the same, I think. Yeah. Um, so, you know, in, in many ways, very lucky um, that it's just continued on. Um, as I hinted we, at, the, the way that you worked before uh, the pandemic hit us all was very much one of working from home. 
Yeah, I mean, there was a joke put on a, a voiceovers forum um, very early on in lockdown that said, um, made a comment about, oh, social isolation. Yes, been practicing that for the last 10 years. <laughs> <laughs> Quite good at it now. Yeah. Um, um, course, it, you, you live in a part of the world that um, is, is now become, or very close to a part of the world that has become more than famous for, for being a centre of eye tests. So... <laughs> That's do you know what? Um, yes, we do. We live very, very close to Barnard Castle. Um, so two stories about that. One, um, as the world started to reopen temporarily in the summer, we were driving through Barnard Castle, probably to go over to Lancashire to see my parents or something like that. And we come to the bridge in Barnard Castle. We sort of stopped at the lights, so maybe three or four cars back. And there's people taking photographs. <laughs> and you're like... That's a really ugly spot, you know, if you were taking them with the river in the background, lovely. Yeah. You know, if you were going looking upwards to the castle, lovely, why? And of course we drove past it because it's where the sign is that says Barnard Castle. Oh. And literally streams yeah. of people this summer having their photograph taken with the Barnard Castle sign. Um, the other thing is that we have a lovely little comedy club in Barnard Castle um, and uh, they, got word from Mark Steele recently that he's been doing um, a recording online um, with a virtual audience and he was referencing, referring back to places he'd done in his yeah. My Kind of, t My Town or whatever it was. Yeah, series. yeah, they're really good. Um, the Radio 4 programmes are really, very good. So they did one and they referenced back to several places, but they deliberately got a big section of the audience from Barnard Castle. So we listened into that last week, um, you know, and it, it, there is a point where, yes, there's a big chunk of the audience that comes from, where do you come from? And everybody yell, yells Barnard Castle. <laughs> so, so, yeah, uh, uh, we are on the map suddenly. We are well yeah, and truly on sure, the map. Not, not sure that the guys initially were thinking this is really why we want to be known, but, you know, what do they, they say about this? We're not touching this on with your PR experience. No, no such thing as bad publicity. I mean, if, you know. Do you know what? Tourists will come back in their, their droves now. They know it's on the map. But it's a beautiful part of the world. Um, it, it, I don't think it's done Barnard Castle any harm whatsoever. It had, certainly over the summer, it increased footfall. Um, now, if you are fearful, you know, maybe that's the wrong word. But if, if social distancing is something you're very dogmatic about, then that's not a good thing to increase yeah. the footfall in a small market town. But... Um, I don't think it did the, the high street in Barnard Castle any harm whatsoever. Something I should have perhaps said at the beginning is the listeners will know you already because you do occasionally <laughs> pop into a podcast with those wonderful tones. Oh, yes, they will. <laughs> and and, uh, and that is, that's probably quite a common experience to you is that people will know your voice more than they know the face or the, the, the individual that's, that's behind that famous voice so you you've got um some notable credits to your name i'm gonna i'm gonna do something that's gonna be quite naughty now because i didn't tell you about this or warn you about it. i'm gonna just do something now and see if it works because i know zoom can be a bit funny with audio but i'm, I'm gonna try and play something now i'm on board klm road at airlines is pleased to announce imminent departures from southampton this month see history in full bloom at english heritage gardens across the country come on sweetheart we're going to the zoo. Oh, great. A pack of really small screwdrivers. When you send someone a one. Yes, I particularly like the screwdrivers. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Um, 
that's, you know that's a you... short snippet from your, from your reel. It actually goes on for, I think, a couple of minutes of just yeah. solid work. And they're not necessarily that some of the, the, uh, the bigger um, titles or, or brands that you've worked with. Um, it's, 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 it's who you are. You are a professional voiceover artist and with some notable clients. Yeah, so you, have, and, and... you have a very impressive CV, and uh, you know I'm, I'm, we're going to get to the voiceover work and, and talk about that in a bit more detail. But I, I'd like to know how did you get into that as a as a career? Um, well, I trained as a dancer, um, uh, and while I was training, some point, so it's around the age of sixteen, seventeen, had a conversation with my dad, and he just off the cuff said to me. I could see you reading the news on telly one day and that stuck and the dancing for me I didn't want to teach I did want to perform it never but performing never really fulfilled me once I went professional compared to whilst it ha what it, how it had one whilst I was training so at some point I, I my knees were very dodgy as well um and so I was like right okay the dancing isn't going to happen so what was it dad said? Dad said, tell, reading the news on telly. Right. That was, so that was my aim. And so I, at that point, it was fairly well documented that some people had come via radio into television. And so I was like, right, amateur radio, working radio, and I'll then pursue television from there. Yeah. Um, which is literally what I did. I started working, I volunteering on an amateur radio station called Central London Radio, which was based in the YMCA off Tottenham Court Road. Trump will be going um, over that one. <laughs> and then I applied for various jobs. One job that was advertised in The Guardian um, as a traffic reporter on a new um, company setting up to provide traffic reports across the radio stations. Yeah. Uh, got, got a job. Um, worked there for about 20 months, moved on to a radio station as the traffic reporter stroke sidekick, started presenting, went on to present breakfast shows, um, uh, got an audition to do uh, weather presenting, went on to present um, weekend weather for ITV in Wales and the West Country and a few others around the place. Um, and then... Uh, when you, I think within weeks of my first radio job, I think I got my first voiceover. And voiceovers were just sidelines for probably 15 years yeah. plus. So that was, um, a bit of, that, was, that was at that time then in your career, that was a side hustle. As yeah. So that, that, yeah, yeah, that yeah. was a nice little sort of, you know, holiday money type um, yeah. arrangement that would, that would add some nice luxuries to your life. But it wasn't well, really the main income earner. Oh, no, it was no way near a main income earner. Um, but then later on, I got to do, I voiced a program for several years called The Album Show. Um, so that was a nice little earner. Um, and I used to, it was when I was living in Wales and I used to train it down to London every Monday to record this and then train it back. And um, So what was that? that you know, and, do you used to cover the latest releases or? No, it was, it was sort of a retro. So you'd have a theme. Oh. Um, well, you probably have two or three themes for each half hour program. So you'd do sort of maybe 70s or a particular artist or a particular theme. You can, I, I, to be honest, I, 
I, I very rarely found it. It tended to be one that was shipped off and sold to other countries. But I do remember being on holiday in Dubai one time, putting the television on and going, oh, look, the album show. It's me. <laughs> Brilliant. So, so, you, so you moved on from, uh, from the album show to, to what else? Well, so um, then the voiceovers, the sideline continues. Um, and I... I was concentrating on radio presenting. I had a not great experience at one point and decided to get out of presenting and to look at um, a radio management programming job. So at the point where I was doing that conversion, I was temping and doing a bit of radio and a bit of um, temping in a company in London that, that worked, that provided supplies to radio companies. And somebody in there, got asked to put voices forward for Transport for London's buses, iBus scheme. Um, and they said, well, just put your voice tape in. So I didn't really have a suitable voice tape at the time, but I, was, I had access to radio studios every now and then. So I just went and did a quick handful of bus announcements, sent it in, got down to the last 10, um, and got down to the last two and spent an hour in a studio doing a demo. So that, wasn't, that wasn't, did you hear the bell? Yeah, I did hear the bell. Yeah, I was, I was like, some, you're just stopping your terrain, you know. <laughs> it was just like a bus, <laughs> wasn't it? It was very slow. <laughs> it was. So did the Route 149, and then they decided to run my voice as the test for a month or six weeks. On the, the Route 149 was the very first... Yeah. line that they did and was that was that a yeah. collection of voices was it just you was it male female no or? they just ran my voice they got to the point where they decided they wanted a female um because a female voice is less authoritative and more informative and less intrusive and more just you'll listen if you want the information but you can it's easier to let it uh, disappear off out um and yeah, so I did the 149, which was January 2006, that trial ran, and um, it was positively received. And I went on to record the whole of London Buses audio and still do record for them. And interestingly, they have been looking for six years. They've been talking about replacing me with... Um, uh, 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 oh, text-to-voice scheme so a like computerized auto, autobot type or, or you know artificial intelligence approach yeah and they're not going to because they really? say it is not good enough excellent well there's no so, replacing there's no replacing the human <laughs> voice and, and well, the one <laughs> thing that I, I know because i know about you is that you're from otley i, I was Originally. born in otley yes yes now, now what does the normal otley accent sound like can you do one no, no idea. <laughs> no idea. Moved out when I was four. Um, but uh, it was uh, brought up in the Northwest. So my accent, my natural accent is sort of Morecambe, Lancaster area. Um, and, but I can't do that in front of a microphone. So I was listening to something. Um, I was listening to another podcast. I did a podcast about working on transport systems yeah. um, a few weeks ago. And I listened back to it this week. And it's very rare that I hear my speaking voice. I hear my voiceover voice all the time, but yeah. I don't hear my, my speaking voice. And I was like, oh my God, I'm so Northern. And yet when I go in front of a, 
if somebody asks me to do northern in front of a microphone, it is the most difficult thing. You see, I don't get it. I don't get it. I, I used to pride myself on being able to detect accents. And uh, seriously, I don't think I could have identified, you know, definitely not Otley or the Northwest. Lancashire. Yeah. Oh, I, know, I, I can, I can hear. quite relaxed. You still <laughs> don't have that. There's not strong enough to be able to hang anything on that. I think it's something that we we probably share because I've spent 15, 15 16 years in Gloucester. Mm -hmm. And <laughs> my sister speaks beautifully, but with, an, with a Southwest accent, you know, and that there you can tell that she's from that part of the world. She's just a couple of years older than me. I don't seem to have, I, you know. Mm. My accent actually. Like drive around in a tractor. <laughs> my my accent changed on my first dancing job. So I went away as a northerner with a, quite a strong northwest accent. Um, and my first job was in Mexico for nine months. And I think there were 18 Brits. I was the only northerner. The 17 others were from the south. And I came back with a southern accent. I came back from that contract saying grass and path. And, and, and thank, thankfully... Because it's, you know, it's helped me on my way to my career. Yeah, because I mean, there's been a real um, draw as well. Not only, you've obviously got a very well-appreciated voice that gets a lot of work, quite rightly so, but there's also now, I think, a, an interest in regional accents, isn't there? Well, there, um, has been, there has been since the 80s. I mean, you know, radio went really regional in the 80s. Um, and, and it's... I think it's more about you get the right voice for the right job. So um, I, there's a, a wonderful region, regional accent on the Asda ads this summer. And I love it. Yeah. It's, you know, because it sounds like a real shopper. Yeah. And, and it, it's like, yeah, that's someone just like me. Um, whereas, you know, if you're doing a medical training piece um, for, that is going to go to people around the world, so English might not be their first language, then you're not going to want a regional accent. You're going to want something much more sort of internationally focused. Um, it's about the right job for the right thing, the right voice for the right job. Yeah. And in terms of that voice that you, we heard a very brief snippet of there, the, um, the, 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 the showreel, the commercial reel, is that the same voice or do you have you know, are you able to add intonation to it, sort of, I guess, smiley type voices or serious voices for certain things? You're talking about something with a serious matter like medical. Are you, you know, you, you play around with that and, and are you able to be different people? Are you a bit like an actor in terms of yeah. the way you deliver that? So what I, what I don't offer, I, do, I don't offer on the whole different accents, but I do offer different deliveries. So, um, so yes, you, you, you do end up being in character quite a lot, but for a lot more work, um, even for, for training audio now, there's a lot more, you know, you've got to pretend you're buying a car, um, as you're on the telephone, you're having a conversation on the phone, that kind of thing. There is a lot more, there's a lot less formality and what the Americans call announcery voice. Yeah. And there is a, there's been a massive move I would say in the last sort of 10 years towards more conversational. Yeah. And the language is, is, adapts as it goes as well. 
Yeah. Is there anything, yeah. given your experience now in those 14 years since that, the, the big gig with um, London Transport, is there, is there anything that you, you've learned that you wish you'd known then? It's something that might have saved you some time or some money or some pain? Um, the technology side. Yeah, um, and I, I'm still learning. But so as a voiceover, um, probably about a fifth of my time is spent in the studio actually recording the script and the rest of my time is editing that script. Um, so in general, when I'm doing, say when I'm doing transport announcements, I will do each out announcement in the studio at least twice um, so that I'm going to get at the best, at, you know, at the worst case scenario, I've got two to choose from. Yeah. I can, you know, so on the whole, I'll choose one or the other, but I may on occasions edit them together. Um, but there's all these little noises that come out that you don't hear in conversation. But as soon as you stick your mouth, you know, one and a half inches from a microphone, it's amazing what it picks up. So there's a lot I've learned in audio production that, yeah, I could have done with. And there's still a lot more I could learn in audio production, to be honest. Yeah, it's a and, bit, I was going to say, it's a bit tough to sort of know that from me. You've almost got to go through that pain, haven't you? That's, that's yeah. the experience, that's the journey. That's, and the other thing is that, you know, when, when the technology stops working properly in the studio, oh, God. Um, so, you know, if something's not quite right, yeah. um, and you're twiddling buttons and faders and whatever and sometimes and uh, you know you just have to get an engineer on the line and say what am I doing wrong yeah. what will make it sound better and there is a guy who's worked for several years with voiceover artists in the UK we're quite a small community and there's one guy who is very good he'll just give you advice from a distance he'll Skype in or Zoom in or um uh, or he'll ISDN in or you know um Source connect in to listen to the sound of your studio and help you through it. Um, and occasionally, though obviously not currently, he'll come and do what he calls a studio tickling tour, right. um, where he comes in That's and, and <laughs> is, isn't it? <laughs> where he comes in and you know helps you just refine the setup of your studio. Okay, so he's a bit like the IT crowd version for the voiceover of the business. You tell yeah, him, close yeah. mouth and yeah. open again. Oh, we'd be fine. Yeah. Yeah, so he's very useful. He's got an email from me at the moment that he hasn't responded I mean, in to. the current circumstances, essential, I'd say. But just on, um, for, the, for the listeners' sake, um, I've had the benefit of actually seeing in this sort of, a little while back now, but that how your rig is set up and how your operations are. Just talk us through the, the ergonomics of Emma Hignett's voiceover operation as it is just outside Barnard Castle. What, so what I have here? Yeah. So I have... Um, uh, I, I've taken over most of the top floor of our house. Um, so I, in what was our loft, there is now what I call my panic room. So it's a six foot square <laughs> box made out of insulation because we have an old house. We can't have a traditional studio because traditionally soundproofing requires quite heavy yeah. um, equipment. Uh, so ours is uh, built out of Kingspan. Um, so I have an insulated soundproof room in, in the loft um, with lined with special uh, sound reflecting foam. I have a second sound reflector. And then I have, how many computers have I got linked to it now? The old one, the new one, and the temporary one. Um, and so 
it, it's all it's like it's a mixer desk and a compressor and a, and a, a very nice microphone. And um, it's one of those things that I could never unplug it and plug it back together again because I wouldn't know where everything goes. Um, so grown over time. Yeah, it, it's linked to ISDN, which is the old-fashioned way of speaking to studios, and probably going sometime soon because BT aren't going to support it for much longer. And then it's linked. I have two preamps: one that goes into the recording system on the main computer, and one that can link to a second backup computer to um, link with other studios via the um, internet versions of ISDN. So those currently used by the voiceover world are Source Connect, um, which I do have, and IPDTL, which I don't have and I've never been asked for, but I could get it if I needed it. There um, you go. I mean, that, that, that in, in a short outline there gives you what you need to know about the fact that you've learned an awful lot about it <laughs> in the process of doing what you do. And it's yeah, that that's something that for your line of work but for a lot of people i guess when they're talking about working from home the technology becomes something of a an enabler but also if you're not quite comfortable with it, it can be a bit of a barrier so what, what, what would your what would your advice be for somebody that's perhaps a bit more technophobe uh, in relation to working from home yeah um i think you have to be understanding that everybody struggles with it at times um you know i I struggle with it at times. It drives. I hate the fact that in my little limited company, I am the IT director as well. I hate being the IT director of the company because I'm useless at it. Um, Google is a very good source of a lot of information. Yeah. Um, and there are a lot of things you can cure and sort yourself thanks to Google. Um, uh, find somebody who knows what they're doing. Kids. Normally very good at sorting your IT problems, intuitively. You've got your go-to go tickler guy as well. So, I mean, there's obviously- Yeah, I've got my go-to you know, tickler. Go you've got your little flow chart there. If it, you know, I will do this, this, this. Having, having a plan if things go wrong, because that, I guess that, that takes away some of the stress. Yeah, I mean, I think everybody ends up with their IT person, their computer person who they can go to at yeah. times of need. So. For the studio, yes, I would go to a guy called Rob B, who I've mentioned, but for the actual computers, I go to a company in Darlington um, called Performance Computers. Um, the other thing I would say is um, buy yourself a decent webcam these days. <laughs> They're not expensive. Yeah, I think I need to. I've got an integrated thing on my iMac, and I'm, I can see by contrast to you that actually you're very well lit, and I'm sort of like a... Uh, because I'm, if I'm I a, look... I'm a boiled no, egg in the shade here. If I unclip mine, look at this. Oh, I've gone. No, I've gone. It's not, it's not switched back. I can back. still see you, but you're not moving. <laughs> no, okay. That was the old me when I had brown hair before the, the lockdown Great, It's not coming back now. <laughs> Start video. I was going to, let me see if I can show you the other video. The go. integrated webcam. Here you go. Integrated webcam. Okay. It's all sort of misty. Yeah. Um, and so, so I bought a, a webcam. <laughs> Worth investing in. I mean, a lot of a lot of the um, work that you do, obviously, is is purely voice. Have you done any work that's involved physically being present as well? So it's sort of. I know you do public speaking. You've been involved in awards events and and the like. So is there much of that um, coming from from physically being present as well? <laughs> no, that's all sort of gone a bit quiet. Um, in fact, the last event I did was in February, which was the the Teasdale Business Awards, which yeah. was great fun. Um, 
and you kind of like, if only we'd known, you know, we were all at that point reflecting on the looming Brexit sort yeah. of, you know, no deal at the end of the year or whatever happens. Um, and you kind of like, we do it every two years, the Teasdale Business Awards, and we're going to go back and go, well, we didn't see those two years coming, did we? Um, so yes, no, there's, there's, not, there's not a lot of in-person event hosting around at the moment. Or even recording yourself and then sort of having that as, because there's been a lot of virtual events, haven't there? A lot of now to sort of carry on things, but have it in a slightly different format. There is a bit of that. Um, I do, uh, but, you know, I think even on the whole, that has dropped off a bit. Um, yeah, it's a while since I've done one of those. Yeah. Yeah. Are there any, I guess there are in every trade business and, and um, profession, there are myths that sort of develop over time. Have there any that have permeated into the world of voiceovers and broadcasting? Uh, I think the myth that's out there is that everybody can do it. Yeah. Um, and so, uh, you, you know, well, you, you just talk. Everybody can do that. Yeah. Um, so I do occasionally, well, the other th lock, what lockdown's done is it's put a lot of theatricals out of work. And so the acting community stuck at home uh, has gone, well, I'll do voiceovers. That's, um, a, that's a, anybody could do that, can't they? Yes. Quite. Um, and y y there's a lot of people who've gone back and said, you know, there's a reason why their hundreds of thousands of pounds is spent on studios in the heart of London. Yeah. And why, you know, we have spent thousands on studios in our homes. Um, and you can't just put a mic on your dining room table and close the curtains and create the same sound. You can't. Um, but at the same time, the producers have gone, actually, sometimes if we're going to want Caroline Quentin to do our voiceover and we haven't got a studio, we're just going to have to use what equipment she can yeah. have at home. So it's it's been a it's been a time where things have changed, but it's getting back to normal. The studios are reopen. Well, they won't be at the moment, but they will reopen. Yeah. Um, and you know, the producers of adverts want to go there and sit in the studio and listen. It's really difficult to do. I've done quite a lot recently with Italy, with a client in Italy, and where you have me doing the voiceover connected to a producer, who's then connected by Skype or Zoom or whatever system to anything up to six or seven other people wading in on this production. And you're like, who am I talking to? Who's, you know, and then they'll all start talking Italian or something as well. And, you know, so sometimes you have to mute your mic and scream yeah. um, as you try to work out what the hell is going on and who wants what. Um, fortunately, they can't see me. <laughs> But I think just going back to the point you made about the myth and everybody thinking it's it's an easy thing to do. People have mentioned to me occasionally, oh, oh, you've, you've got a voice that you, you should try this or, you know, you've, you've got a face for radio, which is the usual one, which is quite accurate. Um, but you, you've got a voice that might adapt itself. I can I can vouch for the fact it is not just sitting in front of a mic and talking to it. You, you, there is a real skill. There is, there is a skill. I do, not, I do not have. I, I, I'm doing this podcast because of reasons for supporting the community nature resource. It isn't because I want people to listen to my dulcet tones. That's not <laughs> what it's about. 
And there is a skill to this, you know, being, being involved in a podcast. And I'm learning that as exactly as you made the point about, you know, things you wish you'd known. Yeah. Like Guy Kilty from BBC came on. He, he, you know, professional interviewer, professional, runs a podcast company. So, you know, that's good for him. Bring him on your, on your show. Let him talk. Mm-hmm. He was lovely, by the way. Absolutely fabulous. But pointed out some very obvious things that I hadn't done. I mean, you, mm. you look, and I think one of those things that I've learned about lockdown is don't be afraid. If you're, going yeah. to, if you're going to do something because you think it's the right thing to do, well, follow it and don't be afraid of making a mistake because you'll learn and hopefully you'll develop and you'll get better from it. I think it comes back to the people by people thing, you know, and right now we can't buy that person face to face. But if you can be yourself on a podcast where it's just audio or on a video chat or whatever, then it's the next best thing. Yeah. People do relate to people. Yeah. You and I worked together for uh, a number of years and, and occasionally will still refer work for each other mm-hmm. in the marketing field. And mm-hmm. you proved to be quite an outstanding PR professional. And I know this is something that you still um, support businesses with. And I note um, that you are particularly focused on independent retailers how's how's that right now because obviously that's that's that must be challenging right from a from a pr point of view it's it's sort of been verging on crisis management for most of the last um nine months uh from an independent i mean i i work in i work with durham markets and um I think everybody who works in that capacity is frustrated that um, by this lockdown. Yeah. Um, there's not the consistency of approach. That's no. been done. I mean, we, we talked about this as a criticism of, of the way this went. Nobody, nobody goes into government expecting to have to deal with this. So let's, let's just allow a little bit of latitude, whatever your political beliefs might be. However, as a communications but as you are, if you look at the way in which the comms have come out in relation to the the information they're trying to relay, it is not only being complex and it's there being complex messages to relay, but they've done it in such a way that it's confused people. It's been inconsistent, and as we we mentioned at the top of the podcast about um, God bless him, the famous Barnard Castle and the eye test things have have not led to trust being engendered within the the government. And I can fully appreciate, you know, somebody like Durham Markets will be hugely frustrated by coming out of a lockdown situation, trying to make plans, and then finding themselves back in that again and having to stop. So uh, this client, Durham Markets, has done a lot um, to try and mitigate the effects of the lockdown. But... Um, things like, you know, develop very rapidly an online shop um, and all that kind of thing. But uh, the current frustration is that the um, the support, the financial support for small businesses, it is not clear what you can, it's not 100% clear what you can continue doing and still claim that money. Yeah. And therefore, it's in the interest of the businesses to close. Yeah. Because... If you stay open and there's no footfall, 
and you're paying staff. You've got all the ongoing costs. And you're yeah. yeah. Um, and, and, you know, and then you've got your customers who are going, why, you're essential, why aren't you open? Why is fruit not essential? Why is a butcher not essential? We agree with you. Yeah. You know, uh, but this is the reality of it. I was writing an update, the HR resource employment law update um, that I support a number of clients with only yesterday. And uh, that it's, uh, in itself requires me to be able to sort of tap into the latest advice and guidelines from the government. And so we are still waiting for clarification by industry, by company sector type, what those guidelines will be. And we declared lockdown on the 5th of November. So we are a week on and there are businesses that are in the face of a lockdown. They might be open, but shouldn't be mm -hmm. or closed and they could have stayed open. Mm -hmm. you know, and and that for me is just not it's not appropriate but we just seem to be on the back foot with these things and not mm. proactive mm. it's it's immensely frustrating um and and those businesses those small independent businesses just have to make the decision that that they think gives them the best chance of survival yeah what i'm pleased to say is that um this year so we have about 40 independent businesses in durham markets and then we have um 30 who do the outdoor market and whilst some in the market hall have downsized a little bit yeah not many have departed i think it's only maybe two have departed wow that's but, but there have been quite a lot of new businesses. We were about to do our press release about this year's new businesses. And I think there's probably seven or eight of them who've come into the market hall this year. And we get a constant stream of interest from people who want to join the outdoor market, the farmer's market, the market hall. There is, you know, it, there are people who are passionate about it and there are people who are determined and there are people who want yeah. to do it which is really positive, even at a time like this. Have you got any examples of, of one of the businesses that's been particularly strong and has sort of led the way in the Durham market? Or do you do um, anybody out? The ones that have done exceptionally well at this time. I guess they might have- I would say, um, I'm just going, my head's going around the market hall. I'm gonna pick on market hall cheese and deli. Um, so Teasdale Game of Poultry, uh, is a Barna Castle firm yeah. that was in the market hall, did exceptionally well with local deliveries in the Teesdale area during lockdown, decided not to reopen in the market hall, but one of their staff reopened, found her suppliers and has reopened largely um, a cheese uh, shop, yeah. but she does do others, condiments and eggs and, and, and deli type stuff. And has joined at the same time she's also gone into their online shop and their online shop does eco-friendly so electric bike or electric car delivery within a five mile radius twice a week and so she's done quite well out of that too um and and it's it's you know that's what markets are known for they're known for small local producers who are passionate and knowledgeable about what they have on their st stall or the service they provide um, but they also are the type of people who will go that little bit above and beyond at times like lockdown um, to supply the deliveries, to, you know, to make sure that their customers are getting 
uh, what they need. There are a lot of the traders actually have gone above and beyond during lockdown, it has to be said. There's definitely so I have, a way to, to, to help stand yourself out from the crowd is, is that extra bit. Yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, a lot of them doing deliveries, sharing to do deliveries. If you can't do it, I'll do it for you. Um, a lot like of that. Like a proper community working there for each other. Yeah, yeah. A really supportive community. Um, and it's been hard for them because, you know, the footfall since they reopened has been way down and understandably so, you know, your natural market for your natural audience for a market tends to be the older people. What has happened. So the nice stories you hear quite a lot of students have come in since they've gone back to Durham. Um, so there is a move amongst younger people to support independence if they can, which is great. Um, and the other thing is you hear stories about, you know, so there's one store that provides everything for card making, massive, you know, very popular. Um, and she has all the bits and bobs and supplies and I don't know, I don't know a lot about it. But she said somebody came in on the first day they reopened and that woman spent several hundred pounds yeah. Yeah. in one go because, you know, and, and when lockdown was coming again, she said, likewise, people were coming in and stocking up. My mother makes her own cards, and I can tell you, it is it is a it is an industry. It's a big cards. business, and there's um, there's things like Crafters Companion as well, which is local business, which is all about that type of. of so Sarah Davies, yes, has done very well. She's yeah. another one who's putting our part of the world on the map. Absolutely, for the right reasons. Yeah, <laughs> just thinking about those positive elements there of the the Durham markets and the sort of wider thoughts of your own career path and, and what's happening how do you how do you see sort of the next 12 months what what's the future holding for you oh right okay um for me and my business um well i think the, the voiceover business which is obviously very closely linked to marketing um, and advertising um it all ground to a halt very quickly um back in march um, interestingly, in those first few weeks after lockdown, most of the work that did come through for me came through from Italy and Spain, which amused me at the time. Um, that industry has fought back and there is a, 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 a way, they've found their ways and they don't want to give up. And there is very much people kind of going, we're going to continue. We're just doing it from home. Quick question. So you, quick question. Then, Emma. Is that, were you having to speak the language or were you, was it you speaking in English? English language version of, yeah. So I do quite a lot of English, English language stuff for foreigners. Right. Um, and also you'll get, so the company I deal with in Italy quite a lot does big brand stuff, but they quite often want an English language version. Right. So, you know, a few weeks ago, I had about a 10 minute film for Fendi and I did the English language version. Nice. Um, I was mocking up a whole load of ads for, in English language for Whirlpool. A couple of weeks ago you know so you know that's the, the nature of the world is that you know if the italian company is creating the ad why can't they do the english language one as well you've got the producer there and the client there yeah. um so uh yeah so going forward there is a degree of determination i think the radio industry radio advertising has suffered badly um but a lot of you know people still want corporate films to promote their businesses. Yeah. Um, so there, it, it, it is ongoing. Um, 
there is a fight back. I think the advertising market will come back. Yeah. Um, as far as PR is concerned, it's not really changed the business. Um, uh, getting publicity for your clients is not that much different. The one, I mean, I now say that getting coverage in local papers is often more of an ego trip for the client than a successful means of creating publicity. Yeah. What is what is the what is the actual outcome of seeing yourself appear in print or online? Yeah. yeah. I think I think the outcome from online is far more effective. The return on investment is far more from social media and online than it is from um, in print in the local paper. I love local papers. It's just a sad reality. That said, um, there wasn't a lot of news going around this summer. And so if you had a story, you had a much better chance of getting it That's published. That's really interesting because I, I, I'm just taking a, a personal view on it. I would have thought it would have been quite difficult to cut through the, the COVID. As in, everybody's talking about it. Everybody's obsessed by it. Everybody, you see a complete stranger. That's your, that's your common point of reference. That's what you're talking about. And the news, I think we were talking about briefly before, that the news round was constantly bombarding people with it. So it, it struck me that it might be quite difficult to cut through that. Background. But if you pick, if you pick up a, lo a local newspaper, yes, okay, so the first two pages of news will be COVID. But actually, they, they don't want the whole paper to be, you know, they need to add in and create some kind of balance and different stories to appear. And they need to... You know, if it is always death and destruction and doom, as I always said when I was running a radio station, if everything in the news is doom and there's never a good news story, you know, people will stop listening. Yes. So people will stop buying the paper if it is just the end of the world is nigh. Um, and so they do look for positive news stories. They do look for something different. And so we we did find in the summer that you know you could get your stories in quite easily if you had a story to tell in a local capacity yeah um something that had always struck me emma how excellent you were at getting stories even when things were very competitive and in different ways, how you managed to uh, to work the relationship and that's obviously that is down to a relationship we're back to people we're back to to understanding your market understanding the people who hold those those decisions uh, or that opportunity or those doors to open up to help a client to be able to to see their story broadcast and that's a skill yeah. another skill and i think a lot of people also think oh well that will set up a marketing agency and you know i mean i'm you know chartered marketer fellow of the charity marketing but i'm not a pr specialist that's <laughs> that is again another very specialist skill that, that that people sometimes make the assumption is it's it's all part of marketing, isn't it? It's all yeah, it's all part of marketing. It, but it, it's it's about that. Uh, it's about relationships and it's about communication. Um, and and you know and and also it's about knowing the product, knowing who you target, getting the right thing, targeting the right thing to the right um, person in the right publication. So some publication, you know, and publications have styles and they have things they like to cover and journalists have things, they, you know, and you can't possibly know it all. Um, 
which is why I'll be honest, I, I much prefer working um, in promoting locally uh, as a PR, so locally stroke regionally, because you can then get to know the journalists and what they like and what the papers will print. So, you know, I know there's one paper in this part of the world that changed massively in the last 15 years from printing every story to only printing a certain type of story. Um, and, and, and therefore, you know, you go to your client and you go, this is the kind of story I need if I'm going to get you in that paper. Um, and whereas then you've got sort of when you're doing it on a, so the markets is a, is a B2C, obviously, which can give you some really nice stories. Um, but then you also have the element of, and this will happen to every PR, you have the client who thinks their story is a really good story and you have to stick the so what filter on onto yeah. it um uh so yeah it's i mean it's 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 good fun social media has changed it massively um so my pr consultancy has moved a lot more from uh from writing the press release to managing social media creating videos um is is really important and you know sometimes you just need a 15 second quick video and not a 600 pound production yeah. um and um yeah, being flexible being able to respond um and being prompt with your response you know being able to converse with people um it's, it's an interesting one because sometimes you just have to hold off from responding to somebody and go to the client and go i don't want to say the wrong thing here yeah i need to get your take on it from your running your business point of view yeah. and go back in. But you know, people, people just want to be communicated with on social media. Yeah, and, and see some engagement and probably not be drawn into the, or the negative side or the darker side of uh, <gasps> you know, conversations, which seem to put, you know, sometimes... And, and do you know, my, one, of my, yeah, one of my frustrations is, you know, you'll, you'll, I, I posted something for um, the markets a while ago and um it was a positive story and so i tagged every market hall trader who had a facebook id to get them to share it and you're like just share it don't come back and say well you haven't included them well i haven't included them because they haven't got a, a facebook page <laughs> you know and you're like, and this is the conversation on the bottom of the Facebook post. And you're like, this is why I don't do this. <laughs> you're missing the point, so, guys. Yeah. So part of the job is trying to educate people. And positivity breeds positivity. Um, and I, I think probably all PRs believe that and sell that. But, oh, my God, the frustrations sometimes with people just get so used to ranting on social media, they'll not think where they're ranting. Yeah. Counting to 10 a few times. Emma, mm. um, just... Before we draw to a close, a couple of things that I'd, I'd just like to draw from your um, experience and, uh, and, and thoughts you might want to share with our listeners. Um, who would you say has been your biggest inspiration in terms oh, of your career, God. where you are now? Who's, who's where, um, maybe helped you or guided you or given you some advice that has been particularly, or maybe let's, let's think about some advice that you think um, perhaps people who might want to go into your field of work, be it PR or voiceover, that, that you might want to do? I 
I don't think there's anybody who's been one, one per, there's not been one person who's been a major inspiration on me. There's been a lot of people along the way who have impacted um, my work from radio presenters, a lot of radio presenters I learned a lot from, um, radio station management, program controllers, um, Andy Johnson back at, in the days at Red Dragon. I learned a hell of a lot from him. Um, and I think, though, you know, those communication skills you learn on radio are vitally important, obviously, in PR, but in social media, you know, the, the ability to be self-deprecating, the, you know, the, the fact that you're broadcasting, every word you say is being broadcast, just remember that, that, you know, amazes me, people who make that mistake and go off and rant on social media and don't think about what they've written, because it will be read, it will be seen, it will be shared. Um, Which reminds me, actually, of... You and I gave a presentation, ooh, I can't even remember what year that would have been, but it would have been, let's say it was about 10 years ago. This seems like a while ago. Um, at the Sage, we were giving yes. a marketing presentation to a group there at a marketing event. And I think one of our key themes was about how things had changed with social media even then. Um, yeah. Things have moved on even quicker. But we, we had as one of our poster boys, Gerald Ratner. And mm. famously, and his business, Ratner's Jewelers, um, he went to an event, uh, Institute of Directors event, and talked about uh, self-deprecating, you know, but about yes. his business. But in that case, it didn't really work because he, he did it in such a way that made his product sound, as he owned, he's termed himself, crap. Um, so the, di the difference there is he wasn't, he wasn't self-deprecating, he was deprecating about the business. Yeah. And, and you he, know, and, he got that yeah. wrong. But the, 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 in terms of back then in the whatever you know decades that was there was no social media there was no media drive as there is now no hunger to be able to out people who'd made it just step slightly over the line and and as such it took 18 months or so before eventually the fallout the negative fallout had had an impact on the business to such an extent that he was asked to leave the man has recovered himself and, and grown a very successful business since and learned from that experience obviously I must say that, uh, and, and has, has proven that you, you can recover from these things. But social media world we're in now, I think he probably wouldn't have lasted <laughs> two days. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Would have gone. So, that's, that's the thing. We've seen it recently with the uh, the chairman of the FA. We've seen it with a, with a number of instances where you say something if it's slightly you know gone on a particular route, bang. Yeah, yeah. Um, I think that was the same event where um, the guy from the King of Shaves was talking about his use of Twitter. Is that the same one? Yes, I think it was. Yeah. Now, yeah. he has been an inspiration to me on social media, especially on Twitter, because to try and get across to your clients that it's if they feel they if, if those if your followers feel they are having a conversation with the person behind the company. The strength of that and, and the, the strength of the power of that person having the clout to say, do you know what? I'm going to do this as a result of your request and instantly um, is brilliant. I mean, I, I remember on radio sitting there one morning going, we should do X to resolve this problem that's in the news this morning. But of course, we didn't have the clout to make that decision. And people got to it before us. Um, so yes, I, I, you know, it, it, that was quite an influence that I remember him Mixed talking. Thing, doesn't it, about 
taking responsibility and accountability. We, I don't know why, but I keep coming back to the government. But it's, yeah. 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 Where, where, where is the accountability? But if you do take ownership of something and, you, and, you, and some humility, you know, mm. that actually we're not going to get everything right. But if we do make a mistake, we'll own up to it. If we make a mistake, we'll, we'll put it right. And how can we help you going forward? And I'm talking now as, as business owners, taking that approach, because I think you're going to then develop relationships with customers, clients that have got a much better chance of being long-standing and being retained as opposed to being a short, you know, transaction. Yeah. Yeah. Where, so, well, next time I'm not going to use them because I didn't really have a great experience. You've got to, you've got to develop that trust. Emma, this has been a wonderful discussion. Um, we could we could have gone on for hours, though, uh, couldn't we? Is we haven't had this conversation for a little while, which is why it's uh, it's gone beyond the half an hour span. But I think in terms of the content and what you've shared with us today, it's been absolutely wonderful and golden nuggets aplenty. So I'm really sure that our listeners are going to get taken all away from this today. And if you are in the market for the dulcet tones of Emma, can they find, or I should add, um, your PR expertise, where can they find you? Yeah, well, um, uh, my website, emmahignett.com. So Hignett is H-I-G-N-E-T-T. It it is for my voiceover business. Um, But if you want to know about uh, PR, then find my email on that website and, and get in touch. Um, because I'm more than happy to talk to you about it. Yeah. And I can vouch for it, guys. Um, this is somebody who really knows her stuff. And the thing I like about Emma is she isn't somebody that will suggest she knows how to do something. Uh, she will find out. She will get to the bottom of it first. It's always been my philosophy as well, which I think was why we got on so well, actually. <laughs> like yeah, and, and, you know, ask, ask questions. Yeah. I, I, what I love about my business is, is that I still get to learn every day. Yeah. Um, and, and shouldn't work always be like that. Yeah. As soon as you start calling yourselves experts, I might have thrown that around today, but as soon as you start calling yourself an expert, I think that's the, the rocky road to failure because life moves too quickly. And it is. Every day is a, every day's a school day, really, isn't it? Mm. Emma, fabulous to talk to you. We must do this again very soon. I'm sure listeners will love it, but appreciate your time. Thank you. Thank you. It's been lovely. Thanks. Find out more and join our growing business community by visiting hresource.co.uk.